Jesus is our true and better rest that God promised, and this changes everything both for eternity and for our day-to-day lives now. Have you ever been promised something and it wasn't delivered? I mean, have you ever been promised something from somebody or something and, and you got excited about, wow, somebody promised this to me, and you get there and they don't deliver on their promise, they don't make good on their promise? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, maybe it could be something small like a, a gift, or maybe it could be like an appointment, like you were going to meet somebody and then they didn't show up. I often think uh, of movies. Somebody asks why I talk about movies a lot. It's because I worked at a movie rental store, for those of you who are old enough to remember what those are. Worked at one of those for like four or five years, and so I tend to think in movies, especially 80s movies. And so there was a great movie that came out in 1983 called uh, Vacation, you know, with Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. And there was this great storyline of that. It's a, it's a funny movie if you've not seen it. You know, it's about this poor, hardworking man that saves up all his money and and plans this great cross-country vacation for his children. They load up the station wagon with the wood paneling on the side, and they're going to, you remember where they're going? Wally World, right. They're going to Wally World, right? And so they, they, they want to make this great cross-country vacation to go to Wally World. And, and, and there's the promise of this great vacation, not only, not only when they get there to be able to rest and to hang out and have a lot of fun, but, but even the trip along the way was going to be a lot of fun, right? Well, if you know the plot of the movie, um, there are constant hiccups along the way, little hurdles here and there, constant disasters, as it were, road bumps along the way. And when they finally arrive at Wally World, it doesn't deliver. I mean, if you remember the plot of the movie, they get there and Wally World's closed, right? They're not, they're not letting anybody ride anything. And so what happens in that moment is Chevy Chase is saying, wait a second, I was promised this thing. I was promised a time of rest and fun. And so what happens is the family is at a crossroads. Some of the family says, Dad, let's just give up. Let's get back in the car and just go home. It didn't work out. But no, Chevy Chase, Clark Griswold, Sparky, is like, no, we're going to have fun. We are going to have fun at Wally World. We, we came across the country. I mean, Wally World promised us fun, and it will deliver if I have to make it deliver. And if you know, I mean, he hops the fence. He goes and, like, <laughs> holds an employee at gunpoint and says, take me on the roller coaster. You know, we're going to have fun. And uh, the movie's hilarious, so you should just watch it. But when I think about that, I mean, there were two responses that could have happened when the promise of rest was not delivered to them. One, you could just sit in the car, pout, give up, and say, let's just go home. We're going to give up even having any kind of rest whatsoever. Or you could take matters into your own hands, even violently and foolishly, and say, we will have fun. We will rest. And you know what happens is this happens in our lives every day. I mean, every day we are promised some sort of comfort, some sort of rest, some sort of something, and it doesn't deliver And we can either just give up on everything and despair, or we can try to take matters into our own hands and say, I'm going to pursue that rest. I mean, think about what it may be for you. I mean, our culture dangles stuff in front of you saying, if you have this much money, you will have rest. And then you pursue money, and when it doesn't deliver on that rest, you pursue some more and some more and some more. Or think about uh, status. If you think, you know, if I could just get that promotion or that job, then I can rest, then I can feel fulfilled and comforted. And then when you get that position, you're like, man, I'm stressed. This isn't providing rest at all. I need a different job. 
And then you hop from job to job or you try to climb the ladder in such a way. And when the promise does not deliver, you can either just call it quits in despair or you try to take matters in your own hands. It's like that with relationships. You think, if I could be in this sort of relationship, then I, will can, I can rest and be fulfilled and be complete. And when that person fails you, you either break up with them or run away from them, or you try to manipulate in such a way to get what you feel like you have deserved. And that's the nature of idolatry, is if you pursue this thing, you will be fulfilled. But it's the nature of idols to destroy the hearts of its worshiper. And so you end up feeling empty and hollow and restless, and our lives are constantly full of restlessness because we have restless hearts. But here's the good news. God, in his word, promises true rest, and God delivers. Through Jesus, we have true and better rest, and this changes everything for us, for eternity, but also in our day-to-day lives here and now. If you look at the scripture that we're reading today in chapter 4 of Hebrews, you see first and foremost the problem of human restlessness. We all have it. Every human on the planet is restless, seeking some comfort, seeking some fulfillment, seeking some identity. And the scriptures even tell us here in verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. And so you see what happens in these first couple of verses is that there is rest available to us, but humans fail to reach it. Those who believe reach it, and thus by implication, those who don't believe don't enter that rest. In unbelief, we are unable to enter the rest that God is so promising us. We fail to reach that rest because we doubt God. And this is piggybacking on chapter 3. What we talked about last week is that there's a, there's a crossroads. We have to decide whether to believe, which is ongoing relational trust, believe in the promises of God, or disbelieve, or, or have unbelief, where we doubt and fear and do not act and trust the promises of God. And so here what happens is God has promised rest, but we as humans have restlessness in our hearts, which plays out for us to have restless lives. Because we don't believe and trust God's promise of rest, we try to get rest on our own and do what we can do to grab this, grab that, pursue this, pursue that in such a way because we think we can get that rest on our own. And it never delivers. And our lives are restless because we have restless hearts. Scripture says that as humans, we can fail to reach that rest because in our disbelief, our unbelief, we are prevented from entering. This happens because of discontent, because of pride, because of selfishness, because of fear and doubt. We seek it elsewhere. This happens for you and I today, and it is the storyline of humanity. If you read the Bible, look in Genesis, the very beginning of the scriptures. You see Adam and Eve were created by God to walk in a garden in fellowship with the Lord. How awesome is that? I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to be the first man and first woman? God says, hey, Adam, you're the man. Hi, Eve, you're the woman. You both don't have on any clothes. You're just going to walk in this beautiful garden full of flowers and eat all this great food and hang out with the Lord. How awesome is that? I mean, Eden was created to be a place of rest and walking with the Lord. But Adam and Eve in the story, they're not content in the way they were walking with God. They were deceived by Satan into thinking that God wasn't delivering on his promises. 
And so they took matters into their own hands, and disbelief and disobedience, sin enters the world, because Adam and Eve chose to not trust God, but to take matters into their own hands, to not trust that the Lord said, here is my rest, and they said, we don't trust you, we're going to do it our way. And the rippling effect has been disastrous for humanity. We see it happens again with, for example, Abraham and Sarah. God promised a baby to them, and they were waiting on the Lord, and they said, you know what, we don't trust that God is going to deliver on his promise, so we're going to take matters into our own hands. And you know the story is Abraham ended up having a son by a woman who was not his wife because they were so desperate to grab what they thought would fulfill them apart from the Lord's promises. And the Lord made good on his promise in spite of Abraham and Sarah's disobedience. We see the people of Israel as God sets them free in the book of Exodus, sets them free from slavery and oppression and bondage and says, I am promising you a land of flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it's a land of rest for you. It's a place where you can go be my people and be fulfilled in fellowship with me. And as they leave Egypt and they're walking through the wilderness, in spite of God showing great miracles and great signs and great wonders, they say, you know what? We don't think God is going to deliver on his promises. We're not sure that he's actually going to give us this land of promise. In fact, many of them wanted to go back to Egypt. They said, you know, it would be better for us to be in Egypt than to be out here in the wilderness going to this supposed promised land. They started worshiping idols and in disobedience uh, had great disastrous effects on them as they complained and distrust and did not believe the promises of God. They were restless. Likewise, Joshua 1.13, as Moses passes, and then Joshua is the one to uh, lead God's people into the promised land, the very beginning of the book of Joshua 1.13 says, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. But when you read the book, you see that the people were scared to enter it. They are right there on the precipice of the promised land, and they are afraid to go take it because they distrust the Lord. They disbelieve his word. They think God will not deliver on his promises. And so they are restless. We see it time and time again throughout the scriptures. We see it time and time again playing out in our lives. We have restless lives because we have restless hearts. It's the symptom of a heart issue in distrusting God to deliver on his promises. So I want to ask you, with the problem of restlessness that we see in Scripture, how does this play out in your life? What does restlessness look like in your life? Are you pursuing something apart from trusting God because you think that thing or that person or that status or that property or whatever will bring you some sort of fulfillment, some sort of rest, all the while forsaking the promises of God. Scripture tells us that the promises of entering his rest still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So friends, as we continue in this passage of Scripture today, I want us to take, uh, put our fingers on the pulse of our lives. Do you have a restless life? Put the finger of the pulse on your heart. Do you have a restless heart? because you are unbelieving or distrusting the promises of God. Be honest with yourself. But here's the good news. The good news is God's promise still stands. 
I mean, you and I are at a crossroads here, like the Griswolds inside the awesome station wagon. We can either uh, try to take matters into our own hands, or we could give up altogether. But we have a third way, a better way. It's the good news that God's promise to us still stands. He delivers on what he promises to his people. You see, verse 1 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. I mean, I love that statement because throughout Scripture you see God's people time and time again failing to enter the promised rest because of their disobedience and disbelief and distrust in the Lord. Moses himself did not enter the promised land because he disobeyed and distrusted the Lord. Moses. Moses. I mean, he wrote some of the Old Testament. But he failed to enter the rest because he distrusted and disobeyed the Lord. But here's what's great. I mean, despite humanity's, the heroes of the faith even dropping the ball and disobeying and distrusting the Lord, here we get to Hebrews toward the end of the Bible, toward the end of the New Testament, and the writer says, hey, the promise of entering God's rest still stands. I mean, it's there. The promise is there. That's great news for you and I, because that good news shows us that that promise of entering rest is not contingent on you or me. It's not contingent on our behavior or our achievements or how good we can make ourselves appear or how quickly we can change ourselves. But rather, it is based on the person and work of Jesus. That promise of rest is there. God made that promise. He always delivers on his promises. And this is what I like about that good news. The promise of entering his rest still stands. We have to, be, we have to read this part slowly so we won't gloss over it. Verse 1, the promise of entering whose rest? His rest. The promise of entering his rest. The promise of entering God's rest. It's not your rest to achieve. It's not my rest to achieve or my rest to give you. It is God's rest that he has promised and he has secured for us. And we have to see that pronoun because it changes that as a pronoun, right? While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Look at verse 3. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore my rest, they shall not enter my rest. See, God says, hey, it's my rest. Verse 5, again in the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 10. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. It's important for us to see that the rest that is promised to us is not the rest that you achieve. It's not the rest that somebody else imparts to you or somebody else gives to you. This changes everything. So when culture dangles something and says, enter this rest, you know it's false rest. It will lead you to further restlessness. I mean, even tradition, even uh, you know, religion, good things. We see this in Jesus' day that people were coming and saying, you know, different teachers were saying, hey, live your life in this kind of box and this kind of construct and you will find true rest. I mean, the religious teachers in the first century were heaping all kind of extra rules on top of the Bible. They were taking the Bible and saying, that's a good starting point. The Bible plus this, plus that, plus that. If you do all of those things, then you will have true rest with God. And that's false. That's not true. The good news is that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything, as one pastor said. 
I mean, Jesus plus anything else is not true rest. God says it's his rest. The promise of entering his rest still stands. They shall not enter my rest, God's rest. We have to know that it's God's rest that he is providing for us, promising for us. In Christ, he secures it for us. And all along the way, people distrust, disbelieve, and then take matters into their own hands. In the first century, the Pharisees saying, do all these things, do all these extra things. Happens today. I mean, happens today. Maybe you may know someone or something, and I've seen it play out in people's lives that I know. I see it at churches and ministries that are good. They say, well, here's the deal. Here at this such and such, we have the Bible plus this, plus that, plus that. If you do X, Y, Z, jump through that hoop, jump around that thing, do that obstacle, then you'll have rest. That's not the gospel. That's just modern-day hipster Phariseeism. Don't want it for you. I want you to know the gospel. I want to know the gospel. Because check it out. Jesus says this, in the midst of that kind of environment, when people were having restless lives because of restless hearts, they come from a restless culture of people. In the first century, there are Pharisees saying, you know, I mean, there, there are people in the first century being oppressed by the Roman Empire, people trying to figure out political and spiritual implications, saying, we're waiting on the promises of God. I mean, in the first century, God's people were saying, we want God to deliver on his promise. We want to have true rest. We don't want to be oppressed by the Roman government anymore. We don't want to be oppressed anymore. We're waiting God to deliver this rest. And then religious guys were coming in saying, well, God will deliver if you do this, if you do that, if you do that. And Jesus sets foot on the scene, fulfilling God's promise once and for all, and says this profound statement that you need to commit to your mind and your heart. Jesus said, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That statement changes everything for us. Jesus is our true and better rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to give rest to his people. Nowhere in there does Jesus say, hey, do this, fix yourself, clean yourself up, get rid of that, do that, do this, do that, perform this way, and then you can rest. Nowhere in there does Jesus say that. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. There's no better news than that, friends. All of us walk in here with some sort of baggage. We do, everybody. I walked in with baggage. I I had to leave some of the bags at the door. I didn't have enough room to bring in all my baggage. Right? It's okay. We all walk in here with some sort of burden, with some sort of heaviness, with something saying, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like I'll ever be clean enough. I don't feel like I can ever do better, try harder. I don't think I'll ever be fulfilled. I'm lonely. I don't have this kind of relationship. I'm poor. I don't have that much money. I'm kind of misguided. I don't know what I'm going to do with my career. School's hard for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And we all walk in here heavy laden, laboring hard, And what I want you to know more than anything is the rest that is promised to us is not based on you. It's not based on me. It's based on God's promise and the deliverance provided through Jesus. Period. 
I'm not going to tell you to do better and try harder. I'm not going to tell you to clean yourself up. I'm not going to tell you to stop that and do this. No, I want you to know Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, every news or instruction is just so subpar, it's not even worth your time. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and you will find rest. That's another promise. You will find rest if you come to Jesus. You will find rest for your souls. So friends, as we look at the problem of restlessness in our lives personally, we look at the problem of restlessness in our human hearts as all of humanity experiences, let's look at the good news of God's promise and Jesus' fulfillment of rest. And do you believe? Do you believe? Belief is faith. It is ongoing relational trust. It's not a conceptual idea. It's, it's relational trust that happens just ongoingly. Do you believe that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise of rest to you? Will you trust Him and believe? I mean, that's a call to Christians to ongoingly believe and trust in the promises of God. It is a call to non-Christians to put your faith and trust and hope in Christ. Something for everybody here. If you're not a believer, that's good news for you. If you are a believer, that's good news for you. Because rest doesn't come because you got baptized when you were eight. Rest doesn't come because you taught a Sunday school class for a couple years and went to seminary or did mission work or any of that. Those things are good outpourings of faithfulness and obedience to God, but the rest comes because God promised it and Jesus fulfills it for you. So we can't rest on our merit, we rest on Christ every day, constantly. And that's good news. So will you trust and believe Christ, Christians? Will you trust and believe Christ, non-Christians? It's my hope and prayer. So here's what happens. We see our restless lives and restless hearts. We see the good news of God's promise and Jesus' fulfillment. And then what happens is we respond in obedience. And there's always something you do not to acquire that rest, but you do it in light of God's promise and Jesus' gift of rest. You see? We can't get the two confused. There is action that happens. There is obedience that happens, but those things come because God promises and Jesus delivers, not the other way around. So because God promises rest and Jesus delivers this rest to us, we respond with rhythms of rest. This is an act of obedience. This is action. This is ongoing doing because of what Christ has done. You with me? So what happens here is we see that God, in verse 1, God promises entering this rest, but the reality is many fail to reach it. Moses, Israel, many fail to reach it because they distrust and disbelieve and then in action disobey. The good news is in belief and having rest given to you from Christ, fulfilling the promise of God, you respond in obedience. You do. You act. And it's good. Right? Belief is expressed by ongoing rhythms of rest. Scripture says here in verse 2, For good news came to us, just as to them, talking about God's people hundreds of years ago in the Exodus who disobeyed and distrusted and ended up dying in the desert instead of going into the promised land. So the good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. 
Friends, verse 2 tells us that the implication of not listening, we talked about this last week, listening is, is attentive hearing. It means paying attention. It's not just like, I'm, I'm listening for something. But it's like, it's like focused attention of what you're hearing and like applying it and like soaking it in. And so the implication here is if you, if you do not listen to that good news, you do not take it to heart, you do not believe it, you become hardened, you disobey, you rebel, and you end up not entering the rest of God. But the implication is if you hear that good news and you attentively listen to the good news that Jesus is our true and better rest, that God promises, Jesus delivers, says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. That is a promise from Christ. If you hear that good news and you focus your affection and attention and just take it in thankfulness and obedience, you will enter that rest. You will be united by faith with all those who listen. I mean, the unity we experience as Christians is not based on our geography or our place in life or our common hobbies or any of the sort. It's based on the fact that we are united in ongoing relational trust in the Christ of the gospel. (laughs) That's so good. We respond in rhythms of rest, listening to the good news, being united. The good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest. I mean, the writer says we. It's not just I believe, so I'm entering. It's we, us together. We enter the rest of God together because we are united in faith, listening constantly to that good news. I mean, unity is such a great biblical theme. Unity does not mean uniformity, but it's a common understanding of the reality of Christ and our identity together as we participate and fellowship with one another. So good. We respond in rhythms of rest, even with a, a Sabbath Rhythm. I mean, this is why we are united in the faith. This allows for you and I to get together. And if you see a brother or sister in Christ struggling with disbelief or doubt, you don't chastise them and say, get it together, man. Get it together. You say, hey, man, let me point you to Jesus. Did you forget that Jesus promises rest? I mean, come to him, man. You're heavy with burden. You're like laboring hard. You're trying to do better, try harder, man. Take rest in Christ. I mean, I... I need to be pointed to that all the time, man. I need to be pointed to that truth, man. God is not impressed by anything I do. He delights in me because I'm a son that was adopted because of the work of Christ. Same goes for you if you are a Christian. We have Sabbath rhythms of rest that happen. Verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I mean, there's so much awesomeness there. Like the good news is that rest is promised by God, provided by Christ. It's attainable for eternity. It's accessible now. So that patterns the way we live life, like together in fellowship and on mission to point others to the rest that's in Christ alone and try to guard from disobedience and falling away, but rather pointing each other to Jesus. And the good news is that we have a Sabbath rhythm that we experience. It's God's intent for us. It's always been God's intent for us to rest in who he is and what he's done. 
Adam and Eve in the garden were created to be together and to rest with the Lord in the garden. God's people were created and promised a land so that they could go rest. It doesn't mean not to work. I mean, you go work and you do what you're supposed to do. You till the earth, but then you rest with the Lord and thank him for his provision. Right? God's people were promised this land so they could rest together as God's people with the Lord. And this is something that the Lord created us to do. In Genesis chapter 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. I mean, God is patterning for us what rest looks like. You work, and then you rest in the Lord. And this is why the writer of Hebrews in verse 7, he appoints a certain day, quotations, today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. Our rhythms of rest reflect our heart's trust in God, points others to Christ. It's a foreshadowing of eternity that we experience a little glimpse of here and now. So as we sit here today and we look at God's word and we take an assessment of our restless lives that are an effect of restless hearts, and we look at the promise of rest from God that is delivered by Jesus Christ for you and I today, and we respond by believing and trusting and resting in the finished work of Christ on our behalf, resting in the promise that Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy laden and labor, I will give you rest, you will find rest for your soul. So, so how do we do this? A couple practical things I want to encourage you to think about. How do we show that we are resting in the promises of God? How do we show that we are resting, that we are trusting in who Jesus is, and that God is making good on his promises? There's a big word in here, Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's a, a huge biblical concept. Sabbath rest can be um, you know, typically like one day a week to set aside some time. In Jewish tradition, they would actually have Sabbath years and But the Sabbath rest is actually an attitude of the heart that can be cultivated and played out in physical, practical rhythms. Let me give you some examples to think about. How do you show a Sabbath rest, a trust in the work of Christ? First and foremost, it is ongoing relational trust, what we say belief, believing, faith. is ongoing relational trust in the person and work of Jesus. I mean, that means... means Humbly receiving the gift of rest instead of trying to work for it. They say, Jesus, I trust you're going to give me rest if I can just get rid of this addiction or this sin or this struggle or this kind of disobedience. If I could do better, try harder, do this. So it's cultivating ongoing relational trust in Jesus. As we've said already, that comes from listening to the good news. That comes from studying the scriptures, from having biblical conversations with fellow believers, hearing the word of God preached and taught in a setting like this, or missional communities or DNA groups or a personal Bible study or a community Bible study or whatever. Listening to that good news attentively. Another way you can cultivate a Sabbath heart to to display obedient rest is personal pauses in the day. This is hard, man. I mean, you, you, get, you have a bunch of kids like us, and we just wake up, we hit the ground running, just like, blah, breakfast, lunch, let's go, school bus. It's just, you know, insane. But personal pauses throughout the day, taking a few minutes here and there just to stop, just to stop, 
and say the world is not going to cave in if I take five minutes to go pray over here or five minutes to just do a a quick two-page devotional in my car during my lunch break or a break at work. It may mean you have to get up 30 minutes early to study God's Word and pray. It may mean during your lunch break you need to carve out 10 minutes here or 10 minutes there to go sit in your car and pray and study the Scriptures to cultivate trust and rest. It may mean you need to, after you put your kids to bed, stay up 10 10 minutes later and just cultivate a personal pause in the day, realizing that you can disengage from work for that 10 minutes and the world will not fall apart. I'm not saying cheat your boss and, you know, the clock. I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying at your allotted time of a break, maybe don't gossip at the water cooler, but go sit in your car and pray. Just saying. Change everything for you. Here's another rhythm of Sabbath to show rest. If you are married, go on a date with your wife or your husband, you know, your spouse. That is a way to take a break from the work of running your household. I mean, we've been married almost nine years, and sometimes just the rhythms of family, it's exhaust work. And so it's this stretch to get out of our house for two hours on a Thursday and go hit up some you know, Mexican food or something, just enjoy time, conversation with my wife, to take a break from the work of family. That's cultivating a rest. Family fun days, if you have children on a day off, man, have a family fun day like once a week or something. That's cultivating rest for your family. I mean, taking trips and vacation, budget for those things, but you can find cheap or free, very simple, fun things to do that are local. And just go do them with your family, recognizing that, you know, the yard may not get mowed till tomorrow or the next day. It's okay. Or that working extra overtime, maybe not doing it that one day, but instead go do that with your family. Or maybe taking a, a little break from whatever hobby you have, to say, you know what, today I just need to not do that hobby. I need to spend time with my family. That's trusting that your world will not fall apart because you're not working in it, but actually taking a break. A Sabbath day is important as well. Traditionally, in Jewish tradition, it was a Saturday. Christian tradition picked it up, kind of made it a Sunday. If you work on the weekends, pick a different day. Pick a different day to be your Sabbath day, your day that you do not work, that you do not worry that you relax, do something fun with your family. And we all can rest in different ways. One pastor once said, if you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. Or if you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. So for me, I do a lot of thinking. You may not believe me, but I do. I read. I think. I think about what I read. I read about what I think about. And some days I come home tired, and so I need to Sabbath with my hands, with my body. You know, So I'm not going to always go read to rest. Sometimes I can't read to rest. That makes me work. So I'll go run or walk or skip or whatever. Hike through the woods. <clears throat> and as we obey God by doing these physical, personal rhythms of rest, we are showing that we trust the eternal promise of rest that he has given us and secured for us in Christ. And in so doing, um, we have countercultural lives as Christians that look totally different than running the rat race that our culture so acclaims. So as we uh, conclude, I want to ask you guys to think about those couple of things. First and foremost, take a good assessment of your life. Do you have a restless life? And go deeper to why in your heart you have a restless heart. Secondly, think about the good news of God's promise 
that he promises rest to his people eternally, but also that we can access here and now. And that promise has been delivered and secured for us by the personal work of Jesus Christ alone. So think about that, that Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. And thirdly, think about some practical ways to cultivate rhythms of rest in your life, personally, in your marriage or family, uh, with your children. If you're not married, if you don't have kids, just with uh, friends. It's important, man, if you're a single person. Find Sabbath rhythms with your friends. It's a good thing. Go kayaking. Go play ultimate frisbee. Those are good things to do. It shows delighting in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, what we want you to know more than anything is that Christ is your true rest and true peace and that you will never find rest apart from him, ever. And that he loves you and he is welcoming you. Jesus says all who are heavy laden and labor. That's an invitation for you. If you're here today and you are a Christian, uh, we all could do a little repenting. I mean, it's turning away from our sin and disobedience and hard hearts, turning to Jesus and being reminded that Jesus Christ is our true rest, he is our true peace, and that Jesus also invites us as Christians to come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for a time to be in your word this morning. God, I thank you for the good news of the person and work of Jesus, your son, God incarnate, uh, the perfect man, a holy God, who came to seek and save the lost, who came to redeem uh, the weary and prideful and fearful and doubtful, to take hardened, unbelieving hearts and turn them into soft, believing hearts of ongoing trust, united in faith together. Jesus, I pray that in this room you would stir up all of our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, that you would remind us of the truth of your word. God, that you would enable us to believe ongoingly trusting that you would bring us to repenting of sin and disobedience and empower us to live lives of obedience and belief. Jesus, I pray that you would transform individuals, transform marriages, transform families. God, transform this church, that you would use us to be salt and light to a dying world, the community around us. May we be pointing each other to Jesus and pointing the lost to Jesus Uh, Because, Jesus, you are our only hope, our only rest, our only true peace. And we thank you for that good news. In Christ's name, amen.